they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode. You've been enjoying these, you've had so many for you and we've been getting some great feedback for these but we're going to get some great feedback for this one today because we have a massive, massive guest on this show today, two-time world aerial skiing champion Laura Peel, the reigning world champion in aerial skiing and one of the big hopes for Australia ahead of the Beijing Olympic Games. She's also the reigning two-time World Cup Crystal Globe winner, a two-time Olympian from Sochi and Pyeongchang. And just a, a fun chat here with Laura learning a little bit about getting into the sport of aerials. Going over her Olympic experiences in both Sochi and in Pyeongchang, the experiences of going into an Olympics in Russia, something that we haven't really touched on too much without Sochi competitors. And a little bit of fun here when it comes to sledging beforehand in aerials, how the coach yelling helps or hinders her up there on the hill, and just how much of a game changer the Jeff Henke Centre in Brisbane is winter sport we obviously talked a little bit about that to danielle scott several weeks ago but to hear a little bit more from laura too is fantastic and really exciting times for winter sport here in australia so without further ado here is our chat with two-time olympian laura peel excited to be able to have our next guest here on Off the Podium, a two-time Olympian, a two-time world champion, a two-time World Cup Crystal Globe winner. And I want to say, and I'm going to see if I can confirm this in just a moment, the only Winter Olympian from Canberra. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm going to confirm that in just a moment. It's a massive pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Laura Peel from the sport of freestyle skiing. Laura, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Good, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I, I'm actually not sure if I'm the only Winter Olympian from Canberra, but I don't think so. Mm. I feel like of us. I feel, <laughs> yeah, with the AIS and all of that, I would think so. But, um, I mean, I, as a Tasmanian, I obviously know there have never been a Winter Olympian from Tasmania. I still hold hope that one day I can find a sport that I can break that record in. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Canberra, still time, still time. But, yeah, I just, I, I didn't know if there was, like, sort of a, a famous Canberran Winter Olympian that I was forgetting. So I didn't know if that was, like, the knowledge that you share from Canberra that, hey, we're a select group of unique individuals, winter athletes at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I should be all over it. I mean, we're not far from the ski fields in Canberra, so mm. we should have a I reckon. Yeah, possibly. We'll, we'll we'll check the research books uh, back in the back in the day. But uh, it's obviously 
exciting times for you. We're only a few months out now from Beijing. Obviously, things are ramping up for you. You've come off the back of a pretty successful season, I would say. Uh, World Championship, <laughs> World Cup, uh, Crystal Globe. Uh, you know, just a little bit of a good season in that. How how are you feeling right now? Uh, it's it's uh, this close to an Olympics, kind of. How does the mind work knowing that you're this close to your third, potentially third Olympic Games? Yeah, it definitely comes around really quickly. And I think having um, the Tokyo Olympics and now the Paralympics starting, it's been a, a big reminder, I guess. Um, so it's been really cool to watch all the summer Olympians in action. Um, but, yeah, I'm feeling good, like you said, a successful season last year. Um, of course, trying not to get complacent, still still working hard and, yeah, trying to enjoy the process, not not get too overwhelmed by everything. How was it watching Tokyo? Because we're obviously in this very unique situation where the summer games are so close to the winter games with the postponement. I mean, is that a good thing for the winter athletes, given you see how successful Australia was at Tokyo to really, I guess, give that momentum going for only a few months later towards Beijing? Yeah, I mean, I've always I've always loved to watch the Olympic Games, so it's really fun and exciting to watch those athletes in action. Um, it's really interesting, obviously, having them so close together. Um, seeing how the Summer Olympians handled all the COVID situations in Tokyo, I think, is going to be helpful for us going into Beijing. Um, so, yeah, it's just fun. You know, I've grown up watching the Olympics and I love to watch it. Because it's still very fluid right now. It's still a lot of unknown stuff going into to Beijing, isn't there? Because uh, given what we've obviously seen in Tokyo, but are you sort of getting updates from the AOC, the IOC kind of things like that that may happen or is that something that comes closer when it gets to the games when maybe more things are known? Yeah, I mean, I travelled all last season in a in a COVID world competing. So in that sense, I'm used to um, all the protocols, the constant testing, everything like that. So I feel like I've had a little bit of experience with it, which I think has been great, but um, I think at the moment it's almost impossible to plan anything ahead. So just sort of focusing on what I can now and, and we'll see what comes when it does. Now, I believe like many uh, Australians who get into aerial skiing, you obviously have a background in gymnastics, but I also believe you <laughs> had also skiing abilities. You were one of the, the, the many, well, the few I should say, that kind of got into it with actually having a bit of a skiing background. How how had you grown up skiing? Kind of how did that work when you eventually sort of switched over into aerials? And how helpful is that to actually already know how to ski when you uh, switch sports like that? Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, like you said, I'm, I grew up in Canberra, so pretty close to the ski fields. And I, I grew up skiing and doing gymnastics. Um and when I sort of felt like it was the end for me in gymnastics, it, I didn't really feel like it was the end of my sporting career. So being a skier and a gymnast, aerial skiing was the perfect opportunity to combine the two. Um, and for me, it just meant I got to get started on, on flipping a lot quicker. You know, Australia will often recruit gymnasts and then teach them to ski. So I kind of got to skip that step and just get into the sport and, I've always felt really comfortable on my skis and that definitely helps when you're, you know, skiing into a four and a half metre, almost wall of ice, it seems like, some days. Yeah, I've told the story many times on this show about how I tried skiing earlier this year and I, I gave up after like two seconds. It definitely wasn't for me. So uh, <laughs> I can imagine gym. having kind of having that sort of help uh, there going into it, which also like uh, we had Danielle Scott on not long ago and, and sort of 
learnt a little bit about her background. Uh, also, I believe, discovered by Jackie Cooper, as as you were. I mean, mm-hmm. Jackie just is out there scouting everyone. I mean, she has a good eye for these things. I, I, I just, <laughs> If you see Jackie Cooper at a gymnastics event, do you know that, okay, something's going on here, I could be lucky? <laughs> I don't actually remember seeing her at an event, but I remember talking to her over the phone. And um, Jackie was obviously a very, very successful aerial skier. You know, she has five world titles. And um, there was a few of us that she recruited in the same kind of time. Like you said, Danielle Scott, myself, and also Samantha Wells, who's a two-time Olympian, has now retired. So, yeah, I guess she did have a pretty good eye for it. I think, you know, all of us training together, we each kind of pushed each other to keep going and, and to be better as well. So it was, a, it was a good little group for sure. Just on the gymnastics side of things, I, I find it very unique to think in Australian sporting history that we've only ever won the one medal in gymnastics, of course, Jai Wallace back in Sydney in trampoline. Yet when it comes to aerial skiing, it's kind of the opposite. You know, we've got, what, five Olympic medals in the sport of aero. So why are all these gymnasts who turn into aerial skiing so good at aerial skiing, but they kind of can't translate it into the gymnastics? Is it just more competitive? Is it just so so, so different sports that you kind of can't compare? I mean, it's interesting that we have the success in aerials, but not in the gymnastics. Yeah, I mean, I grew up doing gymnastics because I loved it. Um, I was never an elite gymnast. I I never had dreams of going to the Olympics in gymnastics. Um, When I started aerial skiing, I started in a high-performance program and that kind of was the goal to go to the Olympics. Um, So for me, it was was a different approach and it was different training from the very beginning. Um, Yeah, and I I mean, I love my sport and, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the reason, but... Yeah, we've got a very rich history in aerial skiing and I think that helps as well. You know, we've watched people like like Jackie Cooper, Lydia Lassilar, Elisa Camplin, Kirsty Marshall. We've watched them sort of reach the top of our sport. So to have that influence growing up and coming through the sport is it's really helpful as well. What was the hardest thing for you in transitioning from gymnastics into aerial skiing? I mean, I think it's a totally it's a totally different sport. Um we now very recently have a training facility in Australia, um, but for the first 10 years of my career, we never have. So it's been nine months of the year on the road all of the time. Um, I think that was definitely tough to get used to. You often feel like other parts of your life are on hold a bit. Um, of course, the internet definitely helps with that, being able to study online and all that kind of thing. But I think it's definitely challenging being away from home so much. Because it's sort of you chase the snow and Canberra's are not the warmest city in the world, but therefore you're chasing a lot colder cities around the world. So it's kind of also the, the unique aspect. Is it more of like a climatization to the, to the weather? You'd obviously done a lot of skiing, but I guess you're not skiing for nine months of the year there. So you kind of got to get used to uh, doing that a little bit more. Well, we're one of the lucky sorts, actually, lucky winter sports. We've got a summer and a winter because in the northern hemisphere summer, we practice our, our jumps off these big plastic ramps into a swimming pool. Um, so we do actually get a summer, which is great. But until very recently, we haven't had a water ramp facility in Australia. So we've had to travel overseas, you know, in the summertime as well, not only to chase the snow and then our competitions are in the Northern Hemisphere winter and obviously in December, January, there's not a lot of snow in Australia. <laughs> well, just just on the, the facility, that's what the Jeff Henke Centre has been open now for about a year, I believe. So, I mean, just we talked a bit about that to Danny about it, but just how much of a, a game changer is that for not only freestyle skiing, but just winter sports in general in Australia? Because I can imagine that, 10 years ago, this would be unheard of that a facility like this would be built in Australia. 
Yeah, it's massive. Like you said, absolutely game-changing and, and pretty awesome for us. Um, you know, when we travel overseas, we see people um, starting the sport a lot younger and, and that's pretty tough if you're Australian. You know, everyone's got to finish high school before they can get on the road. Um, so hopefully we'll see people start the sport a lot younger. Um, hopefully people will also be able to stay in the sport a little bit longer. They won't sort of have to put everything on their life on hold, in their life on hold and more exposure hopefully more people give it a go I think it's going to be a lot more accessible and yeah just a massive game changer for our sport I, I'm, I'm actually seeing this now not to take away from the next batch of up and coming <laughs> freestyle skiers but I think gymnastics are going to be sitting in the crowd now at Jeff Henke Centre go okay we're going to poach some aerial skiers and bring them back to gymnastics like <laughs> do it the other way around right maybe that's what they need to do <laughs> that'd be interesting <laughs> yeah kind of just flip it around that way a little bit no pun intended there uh when you started competing on the international scene that was around about the time when Lydia got the gold in Vancouver mm -hmm. and then obviously I can imagine the the whole team is, is is buoyed on by that success obviously you mentioned Alyssa had had some success early in the 2000s but what was that like coming into your first World Cup season in 2011 with Lydia Olympic gold medalist all of a sudden and kind of just having that I guess uh you know passion that was going on for the sport in Australia and really kind of taking them to world stage could you you feed off that kind of that momentum that Lydia brought into the team and kind of brought that into yourself when you are out there competing in the world? Yeah, I mean, my first international camp jumping on snow was in, in Northern Finland and um, I was actually rooming with Lydia and then a couple of months later she would go on to, to win the Olympics. So from the very, very beginning I got to see sort of what it might take to be the best in the world, to be an Olympic champion. And that was a massive inspiration for me. Um, my first year actually competing, um, Lydia was taking some time off. And then my first Olympic Games, she was back in the sport. She won a bronze medal. Um, so she was a massive inspiration for me and, and continues to be, I think, an absolutely incredible athlete. She's a really tough woman and, yeah, really, she's got a really strong mental game. In the lead up to your first Olympics in in twenty fourteen, uh, had a couple of wins on the on the World Cup stage and podiums, and and that way you sort of the way you were tracking with your progress. Had you set yourself goals to okay get to an Olympics, make a final, you know, win this before that, or was it sort of a case of just get out there, see what you could achieve, and then kind of address those goals as you were going along towards those first Olympics? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has dreams of winning Olympic gold. Um, I didn't think that I was at that level at my first Olympics in 2014. You know, I'd only been in the sport for four or five years at that point. Um, but it was an amazing experience, a massive learning experience. And I finished, finished seventh and I, I was happy with that at the time. But I also knew that um, it wasn't over yet. The tank wasn't empty. I still had a lot more to give. So I was just um, looking forward to, to training and improving and, and seeing how far I could get. Always love hearing from our guests that the Olympic experience outside of competition, you know, getting the uniform, you've got the rings on it, the village experience, <laughs> if you do any of the ceremonies and all that sort of stuff. I mean, do you kind of soak that in when you arrive? Uh, are you so focused on competition that you kind of reflect now and realise what it was like? I mean, do you remember that first Olympics and the feelings around it? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. In a sense, you try to think like, you know, it's not the Olympic Games. It's just like any normal day, you know, do what you've trained to do. Just, you know, be normal. Um, but I think my second Olympic Games in 2018, I was 
able to take advantage of it a lot more and really soak up the experience and all the other things going on in the village. My first games, I was a little bit of deer in headlights. Um, so, yeah, I'm really grateful to have had the two experiences. What was it like in Russia? I don't think we've ever really asked any of our Sochi guests on about sort of the, the experience there because I remember the lead up to those games, it was sort of all the, the controversy around it. Then there was all, the, oh, the, they're not built, they're not that. But, I mean, they're the most expensive Olympics in the history of, of the Olympics. I mean, I've got to imagine that it was a bit of a, a bit of a showcase to kind of be there in a country like that that's putting on an Olympic Games. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time in Russia, actually. We have a couple of competitions in Russia almost every year. Um, so we'd been there before. We'd been to the site before. We had a great accommodation. Food was good. Like, everything was good for us. Um, the site was good. There was obviously a lot going on. If I compare the security and stuff of Sochi to Pyeongchang, it was a lot tighter. Um but obviously, it was my first Olympics. I didn't, I didn't know any difference. So I thought that was just sort of what the Olympic Games were like. Um, what, but yeah, we what's spent Russian food. I'm just sorry to interrupt. I'm just, I'm intrigued when you're mentioning about the food. Like, kind of what, what I, I'm really trying to think about some Russian food that you would be eating there. Well, I think in the dining hall at the Olympic Games, it wasn't strictly Russian food. It was pretty international. Um, when we go to Russia, they seem to sprinkle dill on almost anything, <laughs> and um, I'm definitely not a fan of dill. <laughs> Wow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at the Olympics, it's all pretty international, you know. Yeah. Lining up the McDonald's all the time, is that kind of where the, the no, big cues well, are? that wasn't in our village, you know. That was a two oh, and a half no. hour for us. <laughs> oh, gee, you don't get the full Olympics. But did you at least get it in Pyeongchang? Again, it wasn't in our village, so it was oh. a bus ride to get to the McDonald's. Wow. Um, but I did go. I did go. That's, well, that's the main thing. You've got to, you've got to find yourself there, right? Like that's kind of the exactly. complete Olympic experience having uh, the McDonald's there. Another thing too, which I've found several, it's, I think it's mainly our winter athletes on the show too are talking about the whole pin collecting thing because obviously you get given the, the pins mm. and sort of that. I mean, do you get soaked up in the pin collecting even if you're not really into it beforehand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never been into pins um, before the Olympics, but definitely you you get a bunch of different Australian pins and I try to keep, I think we got three different pins. So I tried to keep one of each for myself and then and then trade the rest. Um, some people all over it, they have hundreds by the end. I'm not quite at that level. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, you also try to trade some T-shirts or jackets or something and, yeah, it's a pretty fun experience. Is there one that you got that is kind of like the highlight of either a pin or a shirt that you managed to swap with another country or another athlete that you just kind of hold above the rest? Oh, I don't think any that I really hold above the rest. I do have a Russian jacket from 2014, which I suppose could be quite controversial now. A bit valuable, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might have some secrets in it. You might have to search the pockets or something along those lines. Um, maybe just don't wear it, uh, you know, that could <laughs> Don't worry out and about. Be something that they kind of might pin you up for. A year after Sochi, you win your first world championship, the fourth Australian to win uh, the the aerial world championship. Was what was that <laughs> feeling like to kind of get to that mountain, kind of finish the event, have that gold medal around your neck? I mean that that must be a pretty uh pretty incredible experience to uh to have. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I think. Um... Also a little bit unexpected at that time. I had had some good results, but, you know, everyone turns it on at the Olympic Games and World Championships. Um, 
My final jump that I, I won the event with, it was the only the third time I'd done that jump on snow and it was actually the first time I'd ever properly landed it. Um, so, you know, I, I gave everything I had at that event and I was absolutely stoked to walk away with the gold. In terms of when you're in the air, obviously seconds we're talking about here until you kind of go on to the to, to your land. Is there enough time to think about, okay, I pulled this off, I pulled this off, it's all about the landing? I mean, does it kind of go into <laughs> slow motion because you're sort of used to it? I mean, kind of can you describe that feeling when you're in the midst of all those tricks before landing? Yeah, I mean, I think you certainly know pretty quickly if something's gone wrong. Um <laughs> And there are times where, you know, I, I get up there and I know that I've, I've really hit my takeoff and it's all going well and I think oh, I have nothing to do. Maybe I'll, you know, squeeze my feet together a little bit more. Um, that's when you know you've really nailed it. But I think, yeah, you just, I mean, a little bit on autopilot. Obviously, uh, Olympic final or World Cup final or World Championship final is not really a time to try and sort of change anything. Um, so just a little bit on autopilot, trying to do what you've what you've done plenty of times before. Um, probably don't get too ahead of myself thinking about the landing. Just you know, working through the process, I guess. But like you said, it all happens pretty pretty quickly. How how many seconds are we talking? Is it is it timed? Like how how long do you generally have in in a a trick that you're doing? About three. Three seconds. That's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. It's because it's, it's, it's so fascinating to kind of always watch it. And I'm glad I'm not a judge because, you know, we're all armchair critics every Olympics going, oh, look, that, that was brilliant. Like, you know, and we, we're still not over David Morris after what happened in Pyeongchang. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just it's crazy to think the amount of, you know, tricks and everything that you're doing in there. Is, is, you're mentioning about sort of landing the first time on snow with that one. Is there one that you've been working towards that is sort of the goal? Like obviously what Lydia achieved in, in Sochi was was a big deal for, for female aerials. I mean, is that achievable for you, Laura, to kind of achieve what she did or is, is, that, is it advanced that much now from what Lydia was doing back in 2014? Yeah, so Lydia was the first woman to ever do a quadruple twisting triple backflip on snow, which she did in, in Sochi. And since there's been one other woman to compete it, um, Ashley Caldwell from the USA and um, I, I hope that's something that I can compete this year. I've so far done um, triple twisting, triple backflips, so still a work in progress on the quad, um, but, yeah, definitely working towards that. What is it then to get to the quad? Is it more speed? Do you have to hit the gym more, more leg day? I mean, kind of, you know, cut down on the McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, kind of what, what brings it from a, a triple to a, to a quad to be able to achieve that? Well, it's definitely more technical. Um, I guess there, there's more that could go wrong. You, you can't see the ground quite as much as you can in a triple twisting. It's blind in the, in the double full, in the middle flip. Um, it's a little bit scarier. <laughs> definitely a brain game going on. Um, obviously, the mental aspect is a massive part of our sport. Um, but, yeah, mainly it's a, it's a more technical trick. You don't necessarily need to have more speed. Um, you don't necessarily need to be stronger for the landing than you do on a triple twisting, triple backflip. But it's more technical and, and I would say it's more of a brain game as well. 
The one thing I love about watching aerials is the coach. I, I love kind of seeing your coach standing on that hill and just <laughs> screaming at you in the middle of your, you know, routine and everything you're doing there. Is that something that actually helps or are you just going, okay, no, that doesn't help a thing. Please shut up. <laughs> no, it definitely helps. So usually the coach is yelling something, either stretch, pull, or you're good. So stretch is um, probably you have a little bit more rotation or air, so you need to make yourself a bit longer um, to slow down your flip rotation to land. Um, pull is if you're flipping a little bit slowly or you don't have much space, so you need to make your body as small as possible to, to get your feet to the ground first and, and your good is just, I guess, some reassurance. Keep doing what you're doing. Do they ever just go, shit, shit, pull up, pull up, like you're not doing well here? <laughs> I mean, I have heard some coaches just um, joking around. They yell up, yell out something like "give up" in the air. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, that would never happen at, at a serious event. <laughs> Which it's fascinating to hear that that you're taking everything. Like it took you longer to explain that than it would to be actually doing it. And it's amazing to think <laughs> yeah, just absolutely. everything that you go through in in the midst of that. I mean, it's. It's such an incredible sport to think that you can retain all of that in the space of only three seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think sometimes it feels like, you know, less than three seconds. Everything's happening so quickly, you have no time at all to think. And then I guess sometimes it feels like you have all the time in the world and, yeah, that's when it feels good. <laughs> well, in that mental aspect that you're talking about it too, I'm assuming you work with sports psychologists, kind of things along those lines, <laughs> but are there other sort of mental activities that you do for yourself, Laura, that kind of help with that? Like, I mean, you're just really good at Sudoku. I mean, kind of like, I mean, do you, <laughs> do you read lots of books? Like, I mean, kind of how do you train the brain like you would in a, a gym to help you in aerials? Yeah, well, I use a lot of visualisation. Um, so I try to have, you know, done the tricks in my brain before I do them in my body. And then, you know, there's only so many jumps that I can do physically, but there's not really any limit on how many I can, I can do in my head. Um, and then I also use a lot of, a lot of breathing activities, you know, when I'm at the top of the jump, I'm really trying to cool myself down, sort of slow that heart rate down, be in a really calm frame of mind um, that's what helps me to do the best jump. I feel like there's some athletes that probably need to amp themselves up a little. There's some that need to bring themselves down a bit, and I'm definitely one of the ones who needs to bring myself down a bit for sure. Because I'm always intrigued it's not more, say, like a field event in athletics where you kind of you're at the top of the slope and you're doing the clap, you know, come on, get the crowd involved, you know, kind of, you know, pump it up. <laughs> I mean, are there some athletes that actually do that, as you are saying, kind of more sort of need that energy a little bit to kind of get them going? Does it, Would that help some athletes? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned David Morris before and um, we would joke about him being a bit of a show pony. You know, I think he often <laughs> did his best work in in competition when, when the crowd was there cheering him on and all eyes on him, you know. So every athlete's different and I think over your career you, you find out what works for you and there's definitely not, not one better option. It's just, yeah, what works for you. Recently engaged too. Congratulations to uh, yeah, David. Dave, very much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great news there. On the flip side of sort of calming yourself down, when you stick a landing and the crowd goes crazy, I mean, I can imagine just that adrenaline just takes over and that feeling must be like nothing else, everything you've worked towards and there it is, you, you've done it. I mean, how, how is that when everything just goes completely to plan? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you just feel as light as a feather. I think I almost feel a sense of relief before anything else. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, the excitement kicks in. I mean, if you finish an event and you've done, like, absolutely everything you can, um, that's the best feeling. How was it going into Pyeongchang? Obviously, you had that first Olympic experience behind you now, coming into it, having won a world championship in between hand. You ultimately end up finishing fifth in, in tricky conditions. But, I mean, I'm assuming you were going into that with every expectation that you could walk away with a gold medal. Yeah, Pyeongchang was interesting. It was was tough conditions. It was really windy and the wind affects our sport quite a lot because it changes the speed that you hit the jump at. Um uh, yeah, my goal going in, I really wanted I wanted to make the super final and then I wanted to perform the best jump that I could in the super final. I know I knew that I didn't have the highest degree of difficulty. So I thought, you know, I'll do the best jump I can and then let the chips fall where they may. Um, I did make the super final, which of course I'm very proud of, but unfortunately wasn't able to pull off my best jump in the final. Which um, I, I love how it's called a super final. It's not just a final, it's the super <laughs> final. It just adds a little bit more weight to it, I feel. <laughs> totally. Super. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, to fifth in an Olympics now, can you reflect back on that now and kind of just think, well, you know, I'm progressing. Seventh in Sochi, fifth in, in uh, Pyeongchang. I mean, that, that clearly says you're going to get third in Beijing, but we know it's not going to be a case. It's going to be gold. But, I mean, it's obviously that progression there that you can sort of reflect uh, might have been disappointing at the time. But now it's like, okay, well, fifth in Olympics is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look back on it, if you think, you know, fifth in the world, fifth at the Olympic Games, it's... um. Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. I mean, I remember being a kid and, like, just anybody who even went to the Olympic Games was, like, a superhero in my mind. So it is interesting to reflect back because I think in the moment you can definitely be a bit hard on yourself. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely got big goals. would like to finish better than fifth or seventh at these next ones in Beijing. Which do you then just take those experiences and kind of add it to everything because – at the top of this interview, you're saying the, the amazing form you're sort of in at the moment, kind of coming off the back of the last two seasons. I mean, is it a case of just, okay, putting that behind me, moving forward? What have you done basically differently since Pyeongchang to kind of move forward and, and bring the success that you've been able to have recently? Yeah, so in Pyeongchang and Sochi, I competed double flips. Um, I'm now competing triple flips. Um, and I started working with a new coach in November of 2018 um, and he actually used to coach Lydia as well. He's an amazing coach. He's a Swiss team coach and we kind of have a combined Aussie-Swiss team going on at the moment and he's helped me a lot. I feel like, you know, we click really well. We make a great team and he's really been able to bring the best out in me. So, yeah, like I've been really enjoying the sport. Obviously, I've been I've been pushing myself doing triple flips um, at every competition and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great team. So I think I've just been continuing to improve. Going towards the quads, which, you know, I'm, I'm just picturing it now. Beijing, super final, quad, land, gold, crowd goes crazy, gold medalist, <laughs> stamp the next day, which is what, let's be honest, you don't want the gold medal. You want to be on the stamp. That's what all the Olympians are going for, isn't it? Well, after I won the world championships in 2015, my dad actually made me some stamps with, with my oh, face on them. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you've achieved that then. All right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Australia Post version, but, you know, 
<laughs> still, still, still up there. Yeah, I mean, because I can imagine that's that's a fun experience. We we had Chloe Esposito on recently, and it was kind of like getting a letter in the mail. Like, oh, there's my face. I've got my bill, but I'm on it. So you know, it kind of takes away <laughs> that that sting from uh, getting a, a bill a little bit more. One thing I love about when you win the World Cup is the Crystal Globe is one of the greatest sports trophies in the world. Yeah, it's do, do you? get that is that kind of like the one of those show ones where it's like mm-hmm. hey let's put it back in the thing or do you get a replica of it or kind of no, and if you do, where do you no. keep it <laughs> no yeah you definitely get to keep them so i've got two now and um it's not the easiest thing in the world to travel home with but yeah. um definitely <laughs> worth it <laughs> i think the one i got this year was eight kilos um, wow so massive and yeah beautiful so yeah just on the sideboard at home <laughs> Just just sitting there, casually, friends walk in. Oh, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, World Cup, Crystal Globe. There it is, you know, just, just sitting there. Globe. Which Yeah, people do uh, definitely admire it. Eight kilos, that, that's more than you carry on, I think, on most airlines. How, do, how on earth do you get it back home? <laughs> well, I've been travelling a lot lately, so you, you become quite good at um, just managing with your luggage, honestly. <laughs> we always have way too much stuff and you just got to find a way to make it work I guess although I did I when I came home from the winter season I quarantined in in Perth so then I had to fly home from Canberra and I was actually charged excess baggage to bring my globe home which I was a bit disappointed wow geez you think at at some point some baggage uh, checking person might look at that and go well that's clearly something important um Jeez. Yeah, it would have been nice. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have to book an extra seat, though, for it next to you? I mean, I guess you're not going to put it under your seat or kind of put it in the overhead locker, are you? (laughs) Well, yeah, I just wrapped it up in bubble wrap and just kept it with me. And I did actually put it under the seat in front of me. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I just, I think that'd be a great conversation starter that you could just maybe put in the middle seat, have somebody next to you and just, oh, what's this? Oh, what's World Cup, you know, champion. (laughs) Here it is again. You know, just have a casual conversation maybe with the person next to you. (laughs) Yeah. Traveling through the airport in, in Montreal, when it went through the, the scanner at the security check, the woman actually asked me, is that a crystal globe? So she obviously follows skiing sports, so she was all over it. <laughs> Fantastic. It's oh it just it would be such a fun like again, given I guess the, the exposure of the sport in Australia, it's kind of it's one of those things where, yeah, I guess not many people would know what it looks like as well. So that that's why you got charged the excess baggage. You're there going like, no, this is like World Cup. Like I won the oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I'm an Olympic gold medalist too. He's fifty dollar fine. You know? <laughs> Seriously. You generally get a lot more recognition like over in North America and Europe, which it's a little bit sad, I guess. <laughs> Added to that, though, obviously the World Championship again earlier this year to be two-time world champion, to, to win it all in the same year. I mean, it's obviously a lot about hitting your peak in an Olympiad to kind of get there towards an Olympic Games. I mean, are you feeling right now that you can't do anything more, really? You're, you're, in, those, you're in that peak that this is where you are meant to be going towards, towards an Olympics in this form that you are carrying right now. Yeah, winning the World Championships earlier this year was definitely the highlight of my career. So we actually have a little bit of a different competition format for the Olympic Games and for World Championships. So we don't actually get to practice that format too often. Um, It's different in all the World Cups. Um, So to be able to, yeah, pull off my best performance when it really mattered in the World Championships and with that format and, um, you know, I, along with one other girl, we had the highest degree of difficulty in the competition. So 
something that I'm really proud of. And um, I, I guess I don't feel like there's not more that I can do. I think there is more that I can do. So I guess that's what keeps me going in the sport. I want to see how far I can get and, and how far I can push myself. And there's, there's a lot of girls right there alongside me with, with amazing skill levels. And yeah, so like I said, I can't get complacent, got to, you know, head down, bum up, keep working. Keep going towards the goal. And then what do you, what is kind of the process now between now and, and, and Beijing sort of what, what do you have to do to, to book that ticket officially to your third Olympics? Mm-hmm. So it all depends um, on rankings and things like that. So our final qualification World Cups will be in January this year, I think. And, um, yeah, then we'll find out officially not long before the Games. Um, so we've got about another month training on the water ramp and then in early October we'll head to snow. We'll be training on snow until the first World Cup of the season in early December. We'll have about five World Cups and then it'll be the Olympic Games and I feel like it's just around the corner really. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous how quick it's sort of uh, coming about there too. But, I mean, not only the mood amongst yourself and, and with the aerial team, but, I mean, just the freestyle team in general. Obviously, Maddie Graham took the, mm-hmm. the World Cup as well. So, I mean, kind of what, what is the mood yeah. like just just amongst everyone right now heading into an Olympics with all the sort of the success that is coming off that and, and feeding off the Tokyo Olympics? I mean, there just must be so much energy amongst everyone right now. Yeah, it's interesting because we're all like a little bit separated um, especially with all COVID, we all did um, manage to get together the winter sports community at, at the end of April this year. And, and we weren't able to do that the year before because of COVID. So it was pretty cool to have everybody in one room. And, and we've always been a, a reasonably small team, especially if you compare it to the summer games. But I think that's something that makes it pretty special. You know, you're pretty tight knit. Um, you get to know all the other athletes and you know, a pretty powerful team considering how small we are. So yeah, it's exciting and I think you feed on other people's success. You know, you see people doing well in other sports and and you know them or you're friends with them and that spurs you on to keep pushing. And, yeah, it's just a really great community to be a part of. I'm going to close out with a series of fun questions we like to do with each of our interviews here, Laura. But one thing that I always like to find from different sports on this show is sledging. Is, is sledging a thing in aerial skiing? Can you walk past a competitor like in sort of the, the top of the hill and just kind of give them a bit of a, you know, like, I oh, had your last jump sucked, you know, you should have tucked a little bit more on that one. I mean, kind of like, is there, and, and if there isn't, can we introduce this? Because I feel like there is some, you know, ways you could go about that. You know, honestly, I feel like aerial skiing is more like you're at the top being like, come on, you've got this. Cause we're all out there. We all know how scary it is. Um, and it, yeah, it's a small sport and it, yeah, you're more encouraging your competitors actually, which seems a bit strange, but. It's like skateboarding we just saw in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, everyone was <laughs> hugging each other like, come on, no, you're at the Olympics. Come on, there's got to be something you gotta going on you got to respect there. the scent, you know, respect yeah. the scent. <laughs> <laughs> I, just think, I just think there's got to be something there, you know, just kind of some, you know, gentle little word or kind of something and maybe get under the skin like, you know, Beijing, it's the Olympics, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be in the Olympics. You never know what you could do to another competitor to help you win gold. Oh, I've got to say, it's not my style. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you never know how things could uh, play out there. Now, we wrap up every interview, uh, Laura, with a series of fun questions. Now, uh, these are based on a Team Canada questionnaire that they ask their athletes in the lead up to Rio and Pyeongchang. <laughs> so uh, they are not necessarily Canadian-based. There is uh, homework. If you want to do some drawing, you can draw a Canadian animal. That's entirely up to you. Um, okay. if, you if you're so inclined to, feel free to shoot it through to us. Um, Ash Werner, Bob Sledder, she did it. So you never know, competitive out there yeah. in the world of winter sports. So we'll see how we go. But I'm going to start off with the first question. As a kid, your favourite sports team were? My favourite sports team? I don't know. I'll go with the, the Canberra Brumbies. Canberra Brumbies, yeah, yeah, uh, in, in Super Rugby, of course. I remember when they, gosh, went to a wedding as a kid and the guy who was getting married was uh, from Canberra and I think the final was on that night. So it was kind of like he was getting married but then Bad trying to watch planning. the final. Yeah, didn't really – I don't think his, uh, his wife was uh, too happy on that night. Um, your favourite ever Olympic memory is, and you can say your own memories from your two Olympics if you want to. Yeah, I reckon my favourite ever Olympic memory. I mean, watching Dave Morris win the silver in Sochi was pretty cool, being in the crowd for that. Nice. And how many times did you get to wear that medal? Was he sharing it around or did he just not want to take it off that night? I have definitely put it on. <laughs> not too many times. I think it means more if it's your own, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, you kind of, you know, take a sneaky photo and go, well, this looks good to me. This is, this oh, is yeah, going to happen one absolutely. day. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. <laughs> that inspiration, you can look at yourself with one around your neck and go, okay. Well, yeah, it felt like it on. suited me, you know. <laughs> Looks pretty well. I think this will, this will suit me very well. Um, who are your favourite music artists? Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, recently I've been um, enjoying Ziggy Albert's tunes. Okay, nice. Good. All right. I, I like to ask questions that people hate on this show. It's rare. So um, kind of, you know, I'll test the waters with these ones. Uh, where is your favourite place to compete? Mm, favourite place to compete? Well, you know, I've been to Austria twice and I've won in Austria twice. Um, so Austria is a good hunting ground so for you then. That's a pretty good place. But um, maybe we should say Beijing. <laughs> okay. Yes. Have Have you actually competed where the the Olympics will be? Have you Have you checked out where the the event will be held? No, we haven't actually. They the test events were cancelled last year, so we have not been able to get to the site. I think the Chinese athletes have have had some time on there, so hopefully we we get a test event in before the Olympic Games, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not sure if they're doing a, a Beijing 2022 video game. Not sure it probably would help too much, but you never know. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? So, <laughs> give it a whirl. You know, give it a, give We've it a crack. We've seen some pictures. Seen some pictures. <laughs> and when you when you see pictures, though, is it something that can help? Like you can sort of guess sort of uh, how that will be when you are competing there and kind of visualise sort of how that may affect you in competition? Yeah, I mean, we try to make all the sites sort of as similar as possible. You know, the angles of the jumps are, are supposed to be the same and the steepness of the landing hill, but every site's a little bit different. You know, the in-run could be a little bit steeper or flatter. The transition could be a little bit longer or shorter. Um, so there are different things like that to, that, yeah, you need to get used to when you change around sites. What is one thing that you have always wanted to do? 
One thing I've always wanted to do. I'd like to go heli skiing. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, when you've got that gold medal around your neck, you can probably get, <laughs> yeah, a, get a some, lot of things given to you. I so I mean, free time after Beijing. <laughs> yeah, you might you might have it kind of like with the Crystal Globe, but this is with an Olympic gold medal. You could just be like, hey, heli skiing, make it happen. Done. Simple. <laughs> That's instead of the stamp. <laughs> Done the stamp. Yeah. The scheme. Um, what is your favourite movie? Oh, so many. Um, hmm, that's a really hard question. Different movies for different moods. Hmm. Well, if you're I right mean, now, what's I your mood? You oh, good, 10 Things like, I Have About You. Good movie. Rom-com. Yes. Yes. Rom com. Young Heath Ledger. Like back sort of, yeah. uh, you know, was that was that his first ever Hollywood movie? I, I don't know, but gosh, that was. Um, I don't know. It was a while ago, though. But just I before he cracked the lot of time. Teenage years. Yeah, no, that is that is. It's based, isn't it? Based off um, a Shakespeare play, like it's sort of a, a warped mm-hmm. version of. Uh, is it much to do about nothing or yeah. something like that? One of those ones. Yeah. No, wow. Yeah, that's a one, good one, though. Yeah, I, I my Shakespeare knowledge is is. Basically limited, Laura. So I'm sure I've just offended our Shakespearean fans going, no, 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 not that one. Come on, don't you know anything? Um, now, this question here is your favourite place to visit in Canada. I'm going to switch that up to your favourite place to visit in Australia. Well, I don't get to go home a lot. So I really love to go home. And I know people sometimes say rude things about Canberra, but, you know, I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's always interesting when I hear that about Canberra, because I've only been a couple of times, but I thoroughly enjoyed Canberra every time I've been. You know, it's it's not that bad. Yeah, I, don't I think get it's why a people... great place to live. Yeah. So. I mean, the War Memorial, <laughs> uh, you know, the museum there is great. Questacon, is Questacon still a thing? Yeah, I think everyone has memories of Questacon from Year 6 camp in Canberra, but yeah. I promise there is more to see than just those things. <laughs> it's like when people say Hobart, oh, I went to Mona. Cool, did you see anything else? No, I just went to Mona. It's like, right, well, cool. No, that was good. You know, there's a big mountain <laughs> overlooking everything along those lines. Laura, before we let you go, uh, social media, anything out there that uh, people can sort of follow your progress in the, in the lead up to, to Beijing or anything else that you want to give a plug out to on, on the show today? Yeah, more or less. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is the underscore snogi, S-N-O-W-G-I. Um, I'm a bit of a yogi as well in my spare time, so that's where that comes from. Um, otherwise, that's about it. I was going to ask where does the snogi come from, but, yeah, I mean, you, you answered it right there in giving that. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for your time, Laura. A lot of fun. We are seriously looking so forward to seeing you out there in a few months' time. In Beijing, as I said, the, the stamp, the, the the heli skiing, and all that kind of stuff. I want you take this on board. Daniel Ricciardo famously said after one of the races that he did very well in that you've sometimes just got to lick the stamp and send it. So think about that winning gold <laughs> that you will have to get there and you will get a stamp after it. So lick the stamp and send it in Beijing, Laura. Well, I'll take that advice on board. <laughs> Massive, massive thanks there to Laura for her time speaking to me from Switzerland, which is uh, a place that I would dearly love to go. So uh, fantastic that she was able to give us a time and we are keeping a very close eye on Laura 
ahead of Beijing. So uh, very exciting times to be an Olympic fan in Australia, in Canada, anywhere in the world as we get closer and closer to Beijing. The real Olympics, as I like to call the Winter Olympics. No disrespect to our Summer Olympic fans and friends and athletes. We, we love you equally, but uh, I've got a bit of bias towards the Winter Olympics, so uh, that's why I like to call them that. But we've got plenty of great interviews coming your way. I don't like to tease anymore. I said this uh, last week on our Eric Radford interview that I, I don't like to tease in terms of who we've got because we've got so many great ones that we've got lined up that we uh, we don't know who it's going to be because who knows. And we also like to keep it a bit of a surprise when it comes now to that interview and who the guests will be coming that way. So the best way to stay up to date with who we've got on or what the episode may be. It might not even be an interview next. We might have a special episode for you around something that Jared Collin and I want to talk about. Hit us up on social media, search for Off The Podium, and remember to like us or follow us on whatever platform you are there. Send us a message. We'd like to know what you're thinking of the show. Maybe there's a guest you want to get on that uh, we haven't had on yet that perhaps you want us to track down, or maybe a subject matter that you would like us to cover here on Off The Podium. We are open to hear your ideas. Send us a message, and we would appreciate the feedback, as we would the feedback on all of the podcast platforms. That's right, just subscribe on all of them. Get all the download limits on your phone and your computer loaded up with all Off The Podium episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts. Hell, we're probably on that podcast service that has not even been invented yet and we're already on there, but subscribe. You'll never miss an episode. Go through our back catalogue, download to any of the past interviews that you may have missed episodes covering the olympics and everything else in between and as i just said we appreciate your feedback give us a rating and let us know what you think of the show big thanks again to laura for her time and a big thanks to you for listening it means a lot to me personally and laura i'm sure and colin and garrett if they're listening as well my name is ben this has been off the podium we'll speak to you next time good night